Hello and welcome to the Rams Review Podcast. Discussion, insights, analysis, all passion, all derby. Some decisions are black and white. Let's get stuck in. Hello everybody and welcome to what is the 50th episode of the Rams Review Podcast and today for the 50th episode we thought we'd get a, a special guest on and it is another Rams Review meet and today is none other than Derbyshire Evening Telegraph or Derby Telegraph sports writer Steve Nicholson. Steve, how are we? I'm very well, thank you. Good. Corey, as always, Corey, how are we? Uh, Jason, thanks. Steve, I don't normally get a mention anymore but it's always nice to get one in, especially on the 50th. Thanks for joining us, Steve. We appreciate it. No problem at all. Um, and I'm, I'm hoping, Corey, uh, as I'm sure you might agree with me, that this one, uh, it's certainly one of the ones I've, more intriguing ones. Um, obviously, we're going to go into all sorts of journalism and um, transfers and that kind of thing. So actually, I think this one, this one could be, uh, this, this one could be quite fun. But bef- before we jump into that, I want to, I want to start by just, uh, forgive me if I'm wrong, Steve, but um, I've got to ask you this to start off with before we jump into, into yes. Derby County matters. Um, I've heard that you're an Everton fan. Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, I just wanted to ask you, uh, obviously, to the start of this season, um, absolute great guns. Um, what, what do you think to, obviously, Carlo Ancelotti, what, what he's doing there? And I think you have to be impressed with some of the transfers that have come through the door at Everton. And I've managed to watch uh, a couple of their games so far and, and happen to have a, a certain Calvert-Lewin in my dream team who's, uh, who's doing me absolute wonders at the moment. Yeah, well, you've, you've picked the right one there, certainly this season. Uh, I mean, I've been an Evertonian all my life. I was born just outside Liverpool, and that's the reason why I first went to watch Everton in 1968. So I was brought up on some absolute legends in the kind of Ball, Kendall, Harvey era, then all the way through Howard Kendall winning things, and then et cetera, et cetera. But uh, in Carlo Ancelotti, of course, uh, they have a quite clearly a top-class manager. There's absolutely no doubt about that. There are certain levels of management in football and then you get to an elite kind of level and I think Ancelotti sits in that and I think what we've seen, they've wasted a lot of money in recent seasons uh, but I think what we've seen with Ancelotti already is that he knows a player, he spots a player and uh, there's no doubt they've made a very good start. The pessimist in me kind of says end the season now why we're top of the league. I think all fans are like that, aren't they? Because you're kind of always fearing the worst and always fearing the next game and the next result. But uh, they've made a really, really good start. The next game, of course, for them will be an acid test against Liverpool. Uh, If we can get a good performance and a positive result or very, very good result from that game, then maybe, maybe we can start getting a bit excited. Yeah, I, I... You know, you look at the Everton side and it is sprinkled with some quality when you think of, of who they've got. And then obviously yeah. bringing in uh, James Rodriguez. Uh, I hate saying the word James, it's James, but James. Um, <laughs> yeah. You know, it, it, it's just brought that extra extra little touch in that midfield, which is obviously, as we well know, um, as all, all being football fans, it's, it's an important part of the field. Mm. And then Calvert-Lewin just looks... Um, just a different beast this season. For uh, I know he's 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 pretty talented and obviously mm-hmm. only only still pretty young. So good things to come for club and country no. from him. Fingers crossed. Yeah, 
he's, he, he's still very young. I mean, what Ancelotti quite clearly has said to him is operate within the penalty area. Yeah. You know, stay within the sight of the goal. That's what good strikers do. That's where they operate. That's where they get the goals. We had Gary Lineker years and years ago for Everton, and that's where he got most of his goals from. So that's, uh, he's obviously been coached well. We must, of course, give Nigel Clough credit here because Nigel Clough, former Derby County manager at Sheffield United, he played Calvert-Lewin up front for the first time. Uh, so it was a little feather in Nigel Clough's cap there. And uh, yeah, everyone's got their eyes on Calvert-Lewin at the moment. I just hope he stays injury-free and can continue the form throughout the season. It's certainly promising at the moment. Yeah, and if they can, then you know you have to put them up there with. Uh, you have to put them up there at the moment on current form. I would have to say. Um, Fingers crossed. Yeah. Fingers yeah. Crossed. Absolutely. Well, obviously, turning our attentions to, of course, what's uh, what we're here for, which is which is Derby County. Mm. Um, so obviously, it's a bit of a strange one this year, Steve. As we well know, the domestic window doesn't shut until next week. Um, we've just had a transfer deadline day. Um, in the end, that final striker, certainly from, from foreign, foreign lands, um, didn't materialise. Um, obviously, I've read the pieces that you've, that you've put in the Telegraph, but uh, just, just to reiterate, how close were Derby on getting something done for uh, the Darmstadt striker? Yeah, they, he, he was one of three or four strikers, as I wrote, on the radar. The thing when, when clubs are going in for players, they usually have a list of four or six targets because sometimes you can't always get your first choice and you have to fall back on others so that's why you get a lot of speculation about this striker that striker Derby have asked about him etc because they have to field about see see what's out there what fits what doesn't fit financially etc so that's why you'll see a lot of names floating about uh, they were interested they did speak to to the to his club uh, the valuation differed and uh, he's in the final year of his contract. The thing is, I don't think he's played, if I remember rightly, looking at his background, he hasn't played an awful lot of what you call top division football, as in, you know, uh, the, the Premier League for us or the Bundesliga for, in Germany. He's in Bundesliga 2 at the moment. I've watched a little bit of him, though I don't take too much notice of, of clips that I watch on YouTube and that, because I've never seen a YouTube clip or a, a number of clips of players which show the bad sides or their bad performances is always their best. So I don't, I don't tend to take too much notice of that. Uh, but it's difficult, of course, if you can't watch them play. So you can't really come to some kind of firm judgment. But yes, they were interested. But he, was, he, he was one of a number that they were interested in. If it would have fallen into place, then we may well have seen him. Unfortunately, this one didn't fall into place. And, I, and as I wrote at the time, if it doesn't fall into place, Derby are quite right to move on. It, it did come across. I mean, again, it's only what what was written, and we will mm -hmm. probably never know the the full truth of it. But um, from what we understand, there was at least a couple of bids in and around the highest of around a million. Like you say, it was out of contract in in, in the summer. Um, it, it just it's it showed a sign that maybe finally Derby aren't overspending or over trying to overwork to get a transfer through. It was literally we've got a budget. It's gone over. We don't think it's worth any more. So we'll move on. Um, and, and that's absolutely right, isn't it? And we, mm. we know that fans have been critical of the club in, in recent past. For, for go They've gone close. And then it's a clamour to say, if we sign two or three more, we'll get over the promotion line. And that's not happened. And all that does, it's very, very costly way of doing it. They've needed a plan. And I think 
they've got a plan at the moment. Sometimes plans need patience, a lot of patience, but they definitely needed a plan because otherwise you can't keep going out, throwing big money and, and it not costing you. And, and I think that's what's happened at Derby. And uh, I, I, I agree with you, if it's not right, then, then move on. Don't, don't push it too far because you can be stung. Yeah, and exactly my, my thoughts. We, we've done it too many times in the past. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's actually a bit, it's, 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 a, it's a refreshing change um, for us to actually say no to somebody. Um, don't get me wrong. It, we know it's the position that we probably need the most attention. It's the, it's the, some would say, I know Koku has said, it's, it's the position that he wants, final piece of the jigsaw. I don't know about quite that, quite yeah. sentiment, but it's certainly an area that we have to bring somebody in. Obviously, we'll talk about the Norwich game in a little minute, but I mean, we even saw it against those Rooney did a job up there, but he was no no means the right option necessarily up there. Um, it was kind of, that's all we'd got. Um, we've tried Jack Marriott over the first four or five games this season. It hasn't worked. No disrespect to Jack. It's not his, it's not his game. Mm-hmm. Uh, we know Rooney can play that sort of um sort of rolling i suppose at the end of the day he scores the goal on saturday so you know you don't you don't take anything away from him yeah. um obviously so the the domestic window is is it the 16th i believe so some, some yeah. point next week obviously yeah. Char- charlie austin's a big name that's been has been banded around um any what's your thoughts on that and do, have you heard anything else in terms of I would, what I would presume is probably now going to be a Premier League loan rather than bringing somebody in? Well, I think, I think it, it really was pointing towards that anyway. I mean, this is one of the things where you've got to wait sometimes for Premier League clubs to work out who they want to keep during the season. And then what happens is they'll have the choices one, two, three, maybe four, and you might get the fifth choice or the fourth choice. That's just the way it works. And, and it's happened with Derby in the past with loans. We, we've seen that. You know, we saw Mason Mount and Harry Wilson. You know, they, they were not going to get in Chelsea and Liverpool's team the season they came to Derby. So that, that happens. That, that's, that's the way it works. Charlie Austin, yeah. They're f- I mean, Derby are fully aware of Charlie Austin. At the weekend at Norwich, so obviously it was reported that Charlie Austin, uh, Derby were in talks with West Brom of Charlie Austin. I was told... The, the next day that, that they weren't in talks with him at, at that time. But the thing is, it, just because they're not in talks, it doesn't mean they're aware of it or have sounded things out to see whether it fits or doesn't fit for them. So there's a, there's a lot of play on words sometimes when, when transfers are about what are talks, what aren't talks. Is, is picking up the phone and saying to West Brom, what's the situation with Charlie Austin? And they'll say, well, yeah, he's in and around our first team, but he might not get so many games. He's in the final now, is that in talks or is that not in talks? It's, it's, mm. you know, it's a fine line, isn't it? And it's kind of, it's how you view that. But fully aware of Charlie Austin, I think Robson Carno now has got injured, if I'm right, in thinking he's broken yeah. his arm. Now, yeah. of course, that could change matters because West Brom, you know, their, their task this season is to try and stay in the Premier League. So they're going to look after their own shop first as far as get, making sure they've got the right number of bodies. If they can go out and, and sign a striker, then maybe that makes a difference to Charlie Austin as well and what he does this season. So that one can rumble on and it can rumble on until five o'clock on, on uh, October the 16th, which is the night, of course, that Derby have a game against Watford at yes. home. Keenan Davis, Aston Villa. He's, he's in a pecking order of strikers at Aston Villa. Uh, they, of course, have signed players and, 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 and are looking a lot better for that at the early stage of the season. Certainly Ollie Watkins, who we, who we know about and that. 
uh, as far as Derby were interested in him some some time back. So Keenan Davis now has got to wonder where he falls in the pecking order, and Villa have got to wonder what's the best thing for Keenan Davis. He's 22. Is the best thing to stay on the bench at Villa and maybe get 10 minutes, half an hour here and there, maybe play in the Carabao Cup or not, and that type of thing, or is it go out on loan for a season to somewhere like Derby, whose track record with loan players at the moment is very, very good, if we remember the three who are with us, Wilson, Tamori and and, uh, Mason Mount. So that's a decision for Villa also. And of course, they'll be thinking about that right up to five o'clock on October the 16th. So there are, you know, Derby are out there. They've got irons in the fires, no doubt. They want to bring the striker in. And the striker in the system that Philip Cocky wants to play, whether it's a 4-2-3-1 or 4-3-3, or even a kind of 5-4-1 as we saw at Norwich, the striker is absolutely crucial. And we know that as Derby fans and Derby followers because Chris Martin played that role as well as anybody in the Championship, maybe for two and a half seasons kind of 2014, 15, that type of time. So we know how crucial that focal point of the attack is. That was going to be my uh, my last question just before I passed it over to Corey. Is, is it the be-all and end-all if Derby don't get that striker in before the end of the window? Appreciate the next one is only in January. Um, yeah. Do we have enough? Is I mean, I would probably plug either for Rooney or Waghorn when fit if we didn't bring somebody in, would probably take that mantle. Is is that enough for what Derby are wanting to achieve uh, between, say, now and January until they could probably, you know, re- re-look at it? Yeah, it's a, it's, a, it's a good question. And we mustn't forget, as you rightly point out, Martin Waggon in this. I, I think Martin Waggon. I don't think he gets the, 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 the credit he, de- he, sh- he deserves. I think he's... I think he's a, a big player in this squad. I think he's an important player. He can play centre-forward, as we know, and he can play from the right side. And every time he's performed, I think, I think he's put a real shift in. You know, he got double figures for goals. He, uh, as the target man, again, it's not perfect for him, but I think he does it quite well. So I've got, I wouldn't have a problem if Martin Waghorn took us from October through to January. I wouldn't have a problem with that. I think he could do that job. The thing with Martin Waghorn at the moment is, he hasn't played now for a long time. You know, he missed pre-season with injury and he's missed the start. So he's going to have to play catch-up. And I'm being told that it's highly unlikely to be available for the Watford game. So again, you can see time's moving on. It's the same with Tom Lawrence. Got to remember, Tom Lawrence, I think, again, I think the two of them have been a big miss. And if you had Tom Lawrence and Waghorn to the team we saw, or the, the, the eight team we saw at Norwich, it suddenly looks very, very different. If you then add in a few others... Dwayne Holmes getting fitter. Christian Bielik, hopefully in time, will, will, will join in as well. It, it, looks, it starts to look a different squad. And I've always said that in three or four weeks' time, if they got the striker in as well, the team could look very different. And, and we might all be feeling a, a little bit better. But I think, I think the focal point of the attack, I think it's an important position. I think centre-back and the focal point of the attack in the system is, is important, as is the goalkeeper, which we might talk about. Uh, so I, I, I would like them to get one in. Philip Koku wants to get a striker in, just to add those numbers. Because I think Wayne Rooney, I think he can play there. But as you rightly said, I think he can be more influential from a different area of the pitch. Because he'll curl a free kick in, whether he's playing in goal, centre-back or yeah. centre-forward. Because he's got that quality. Uh, so, but I, yeah, I think, it would, I think it would be a real boost if they could get that striker. Corey? 
Yeah, Steve, uh, just real quick before going to my list of questions, you mentioned a player there I wanted to discuss, Tom Lawrence. Um, any updates on his injury? Because he seems to have been out quite a long time. Yeah, uh, if you remember, he, he damaged his shoulder uh, against Leeds in the final home game of last season. And uh, it's taken longer than they expected. He had surgery on it in the summer. And you've got to be... The, the, the key to these injuries now are, are not... He's doing a lot of fitness work. He's doing a lot of running and all that type of thing. But the next big moment for him is this physical contact. I mean, unfortunately, I've not had a shoulder injury. But those who have, who've dislocated their shoulders or, 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 or broken it or whatever, tell me that you... It's that contact now, the physical contact that, that finds out how the shoulder is. And if you remember, we've had, I think, players in the past, you've gone past where players have displaced the shoulder and every time they've gone down again, it's bothered them again. So they have to make certain that he's absolutely right before they can immerse him in physical contact in training and then in matches as well. They've got their fingers crossed that after the international break, they're hoping he'll be a lot closer. I think Watford might be a bit too soon for him, what I'm hearing, but they're hoping he's getting closer. And as you say, I, I just think, again, he's a, he's a player who comes in for quite a bit of criticism at times, but I thought last season was his best season in a Derby shirt, and which was a credit to him, given all the off-the-field issues and, and problems that he had. Uh, so, And I think they've missed him. Yeah, I think we, Jason and myself, would both agree that he's definitely a very important player for Derby. And, and like you say, you know, you add him and Martin Waghorn to the to the squad that played against Norwich, and, and it's a completely different team with a lot more threats than probably some fans would expect um, the team to have with the start. But just to touch on the transfer market uh, again, Steve, I just wanted to ask you again one more question before we go into um, ins and outs. Um, you as a journalist, how much are you looking forward to having a second deadline day? Because I'm telling you, I think that you must have the most fun on deadline day of anybody, and you're going to have two of them. How's the bonus transfer window looking for you? Well, it's no surprise why I look the way I do. I'm really <laughs> only I'm really only 21. It's because I've had about 20 transfer deadline days. Uh, it's it's a it's it, it, it's a real taxing day, believe me. I mean, the, the one we had on Monday, for example, was a oh I don't know, 16, 17, 18 hour day in total. Uh, and you're constantly watching and, and, and listening. And of course, you get the fans saying, well, I've just seen so-and-so at Derby train station. He just got off the train, said he's coming to sign for Derby. Uh, or I've just seen so-and-so driving his car. I mean, it, it, it was funny because uh, a few years ago, I was, uh, I, I was covering the transfer deadline day and I was travelling to work in the morning and a, and a 4x4 Range Rover, uh, black one, whizzed past me with a number plate on which uh, was very much the name of a, a Premier League star at the time and uh, so I went into work and I mentioned it to the editor he said oh you just put that out for a bit of fun on, on the on the <laughs> on the website which we did and fans go crazy so all these things about oh you know I've seen so and so and so and so I've heard this and he's coming to sign for Derby you have to wade your way through them and pick them apart and and find out because don't forget out of all this all the rumours some rumours will be true. Some rumours will have part truth in them and some rumours will have none at all. And, and with social media these days, it's really difficult to pick your way through what's right, what's wrong. And then, of course, if you miss what's right, you get criticised for missing out as well. So it's, it's, it's a tricky time. But yeah, it, uh, it puts a few years on me. So 
how do you, you look better than me, Steve. I'll give you that. Uh, <laughs> I've not been through 20 transfer windows. Uh, we would just try to do one couple the one for the last time and it nearly put me through the ringer. Um, so my question to you is, you know, how do you, how do you sift through for the lack of a better term, the fact of the crap that, that comes through, you know, obviously I know you've got, you've got contacts and sources within the club and, and, and whatever, but I mean, I'm, I'm assuming you can't be ringing them every five minutes going, Hey, you know, is this true? Is Trisha, you know, whatever, you know, because eventually they're going to stop taking your call because they're doing other things behind the scenes for other transfers and things. So, so how do you, I mean, obviously you, you lean on your experience and you go, okay, Lionel Messi at the Saints breeze uh, at the, at the Wyvern, uh, you know, is probably, probably not true, but you know, for the, for the ones that are, that, that kind of seem true, the Keenan Davis is in the building, Charlie Austin is seen at training and stuff. How do you kind of, how do you kind of sift through that? Well, you, you rely on your contacts and this is the thing that, that, that fans, some understand and, and some don't, quite find it a bit more difficult uh and and this is where building you know some fans believe building relationships with managers and and and, and other officials within the club chairman or managing directors or whoever else kind of think it's oh yeah but you become too close and you become a yes man that that's that's utter nonsense what what it's it's part of the skill of the job is to build good relationships so you can actually on days like that, make calls. You're quite right. I can't phone up every five minutes because it would be unfair on the person I was phoning or, or the people I'm, I was phoning. So you have to kind of use your experience and, and work through and maybe check it from another way round, for example. So, for, for example, if, if Charlie Austin or Keenan Davis uh, come into the, on, on the radar and, and everyone say, no, it, they're coming to Derby or not coming to Derby, then maybe I'll go the other way around because you have contacts also at those clubs as fellow journalists who cover those clubs as closely as I cover Derby. So you have that network as well. And they might say, well, it's not what the manager said to me two weeks ago. He said, I'm not letting Keenan Davis out or I'm not letting Charlie Austin out. Or if I did, it'd have to, someone would have to buy them. It's a bit like, you know, we, we read about Harry Wilson, didn't we? Liverpool saying, we're not going to loan him out again. You know, if someone wants him, they've got to buy him this time. And it's also, you can, you can work your way around the other way and, and find out. So it's a, it, it, it's a kind of piecing it together, really, and with your own knowledge. And I say, relying on your contacts. Because sometimes, because you're so close to a club, you know, going into a transfer window, what they actually are looking at and what they're not looking at. So that gives you a basis for starters. So I knew, obviously, this time... They were looking at what well, we've known for a few windows, really, that they were looking at a right-sided attacking player or wide attacker because they didn't replace uh, Harry Wilson. Uh, we knew they were looking for a centre-forward. We knew they had to look at centre-backs as well. And, of course, given the form of the two goalkeepers last season, we knew they were looking at a goalkeeper this summer. So you use all that as well in order to try and, as you say, sift through it. Some you'll miss because it's just the way it is. Other things will, will break out somewhere else, which you can't control. And one more touch on the professional side of you uh, mm. and, your, and your position real quick before we move on to actual players in the business. I understand from my profession that sometimes you have embargoes on things that you cannot necessarily say at a given time. And, and like quite rightly, you say, you know, the club needs you just as much as you need the club. Um, and so it's, you know, it's mutual bridge building in a way. And I know we spoke to Chris Coles um, just just after just after in the middle of lockdown or whatever, and you know he said that 
uh, they were hearing the rumors of Wayne Rooney and they were at the game against Huddersfield and he asked Mel Morris and Mel Morris kind of gave him a thumbs up, but obviously he couldn't release anything until the next day, you know, and I know that's coupled with the fact on social media, we're all on social media, we're all see it, you know, um, yourself, uh, Ryan Conway at The Athletic, Chris Coles on BBC, several other um, people who cover the club, you know, they've either received criticism or they've received abuse or things like that because, well, Steve, you know, you didn't get this right. You didn't report Jordan I was at the McDonald's. You didn't report this or whatever. And, and you know, in a way, it, it's very unfair that you guys receive that criticism because you're reporting on something that we care about. Um, and obviously that, that, that affects people in, you know, numerous different ways. But, you know, sometimes is it difficult for you when the club asks you, okay, let's not necessarily, and we're, we know this person player is signed, but we can't, we can tell you, but don't release it until five or six o'clock. I mean, tell me sometimes, is that, is that a difficult thing for the normal fan to understand sometimes when they think, oh, okay, Steve Nicholson takes his time. He's not on the cutting edge, like some other quote unquote in the no accounts are. It's yeah, it, it can be frustrating. There's no doubt about that. And again, it's, this is the importance of building building relationships, and so it's a bit of give and take, really. At times, you know, you, you you might win one, you might lose one, but you might win the next three, if you see what I mean. It's just it's just the way it is. I mean, if we go back to the Wayne Rooney one, I was sat in the in the press room at Huddersfield before that first match of the season, and I got um, a text message, uh, which took some reading. I must admit, the first time I saw it, it was a bit of a shocker, really. Uh, and so I quickly went outside had to find a quiet area because there's thousands of fans outside, obviously milling around, and made a call to, to, to the, the person who I thought would know exactly. And they said, uh, yes, it is. But obviously the club, because it was such a big transfer, the club were never going to say anything about it at that moment. So all we had to do was kind of go along with the speculation. And I remember doing a piece that night online, and I did a piece on Talk Sport as well that 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 night also because they wanted to know about it so we, we're very much in the know about it but what we can't actually say is he's going to sign tomorrow morning but we can just speculate along with everyone else but yes it, it can be frustrating because of course you want to be first with everything you know I, I had a spell before social media really kicked off and all that type of thing I had a spell where to be honest the Derby Telegraph was first with everything it was first with everything because we had such close uh, relationships and contacts and of course the stories couldn't break out anywhere else now of course they can come from all sorts of areas they can come from player agents they can come from people who know the player they can come from the club the players coming from etc so there's, there's all sorts and there's so many different media outlets chasing the same kind of stories that you know sometimes you win sometimes you don't the, the other thing i'll say is for me of course it's all right knowing about it, but I've got to write an article about it. It's no use me just banging out a, a, a tweet just for ego purpose, because actually I want people to read the article I'm doing. So sometimes it takes a minute or two longer than someone who just puts a tweet out. But yeah, it, it can be frustrating. But you know, I, I hope the, certainly the, the, the people who follow me, the fans who follow me, under uh, the majority, I hope, understand what what I do and and. and the fact that, yes, I do have contacts. I, I do know what, what's happening within the football club. It's my job to know what's happening within the football club. And sometimes the football club might say, look, we're going to announce this at five o'clock. 
we've told you about it now so it gives you a, a chance to, to, to get yourself in, in a position to do something around that time. Uh, and why would I break that? Because all that does is, is, is kind of cut you out of the loop as well. I mean, I remember one manager saying to me, if you use that as an exclusive, it'll be your last, you know, because you'll not get another one. So it's, 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 it's a bit of give and take. It's a bit of relationship building. But I say fans should never take that as I said earlier. It's not about being yes people and all that. It's the way the industry works. And it happens at all sorts of, of papers and, and radio stations up and down the country covering all the clubs. Yeah, that's that's really interesting. I mean, obviously, you know, you you need the the mutual respect there and the mutual trust that you guys are both being honest with each other. And that's a you know for you that's a very fine line to um, to walk. Sometimes I can imagine. But I want to allude something to what Jason talked about earlier before I turn it back over to him is um, the transfers at Derby. So so far, there's there's seven or eight outgoings and there's about uh, five or six six or seven incomings. Um, mm-hmm. And as Jason said, you know, it, it, Derby kind of looked, uh, it seems this transfer window, Derby's kind of looking or has looked um, with, with Kamil Ujiak, um a bit further afield for the first time in, 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 a, in a long while. So, you know, like you said, Steve, you've been to the games, you've been to all the games. Um, what do you make of the summer business for Derby and which signing is, is most, um, has, has most impressed you? Well, I was, I was asked about it a few days ago, this about, everyone wants marks out of 10 for whether for a performance or a transfer window. And actually I've kind of given Derby's transfer window a seven out of 10. And the reasons why are transfer windows for me are important for three reasons. One, they're important for the present, the now to fix something that needed fixing. They're also important to bring in something that promises something further down the line in a few weeks, in a few months this season. And they're also important for the future. And I think Derby have, have hit a few of those nails on the head. And so if you think about uh, David Marshall, if you think about Nathan Byrne, if you think about Matt Clark, they're for the now. That's for the now to sort positions out in the team from last season that, that probably needed sorting out. Then you go into Josriak, who's someone, let's be honest, very few of us have seen him uh, very much of him. I've been fortunate to see every game he's played for Derby. I've watched a few of the po- of Poland's internationals. Uh, but for me, he falls into category of give him time and we'll gradually see more and more from him. And I think that's what we're seeing at the moment. There's been glimpses, but I think he needs time to settle and settle into a new environment, a new league, new teammates. So that's kind of the promising section. Mike Taviri might fall into the same category, you know, uh, he, he was in the team, he lost his place against Norwich. Again, difficult one for him. Come from a different league, new to the championship, new teammates. Again, it's one where you think, well, hopefully, as he settles down, we'll see more and more of him and better of him. Jordan Ives, another one about this is this word promise. We know what he can do. We've seen it previously in previous years, but he needs time. He's not played for a year. You know, that's an awful long time. But, you know, some fans think you can just jump back out there. If you put Jordan Ives straight back out there after signing, the way he plays, the explosive way he plays, he's likely to pull a hamstring or a calf muscle or a groin. Then suddenly you're not going to see him for weeks longer. So they have to be careful with those. And then, of course, we talk about future. And, and obviously Bobby Duncan is, is a striker from Liverpool, 19 years old. He's not played the senior game yet but he's gone into the under-23s. And for me, that's looking after the future as well. So transfer windows for me are looking after the, the present with the promise of more to come 
and also looking after the future. And that's why I think overall I've given them a seven. And if I was to say the most important signing, for me, at the moment, it will be the goalkeeper. Because I think last season, uh, Keller Roos and Ben Hamer had their good moments. They also had their shaky moments. And I think the majority of fans felt that Derby had to do something about the number one position in the summer. And what they've done, they've brought in an experienced goalkeeper, Scottish international. And I think so far, he's probably been the pick. And certainly at Norwich, as you'll have seen uh, at the weekend, uh, I think his saves probably won Derby the game along with Wayne Rooney's free kick. Jason? Yeah, I mean, we've commented on it as well, Corey, that, and like you said there, Steve, I think you could see when we went into that transfer window, you kind of knew exactly where Derby had to try and pick. I must admit, I, I'm, I'm struggling to, to, to be negative about any of the transfers um, coming in, to be perfectly honest with you, we've brought in, we've gone down a slightly different route in some respects, in one or two positions. You know, the old head, uh, like you said, in 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 Marshall in in the net, and I think, I mean, you could argue that he's probably been one of the best goalkeepers over the last ten years at, at championship level. So, you know, bringing him in, uh, and if he seems fit and firing, and let's face it, he looked pretty decent on uh, on Saturday with with three at least three quality saves. Um, it's great. I mean, Mike Tverick. Okay, I wouldn't necessarily say he's hit the ground on, on fire. Unfortunately, he looks a little bit out of his. I don't know if out out of his depth the right words, but he doesn't look. Uh, it, I, it needs to be needs to come up to speed to the championship game. I think is the best way. Of, yeah. best way I of putting I, that sentence. Yeah, I, yeah. I think I think what what's interesting about Mike Tverick, and this is the thing for me about players who fans haven't heard a lot of or actually seen a lot of. It's, de- it's really easy for fans to say, oh, yeah, go out and get him, whether it's Durson, uh, the striker, or whether it's Mike Tavir. Oh, get him, he looks really good. We don't know. And, and this is the thing where we have to be really, really careful. We had the Alban Tosa, if you remember, mm. not too long ago. I'd, I'd never, I'll be honest, and he, he was a really nice guy, but I'd never heard of him and I'd never seen him play. So it, it's a very difficult one. It, it, it's not like years ago, were in the Jim Smith era, where at that time, Derby could go and get Ego Stimmett, they could go and get Paolo Wanchot and, and Rano and Bayano, but, but things have changed. If there is a Stimmack out there now, or a Bayano or Rano, there'll be other clubs all over it now. Whereas Derby were a bit ahead of their time at, at that moment. Jim Smith was very ahead of his time and they were able to get this, these talented players in. That would be more difficult these days for a championship club to achieve. So what you tend to get then is you tend to get some of the kind of players who are maybe the third or fourth joint of level down, if you see what I mean. And, and Mike Tavirik, it, it's been difficult for him. I also play, I think he plays in a position where it can be very difficult to get going in a, in a new team. And because what happens at centre-back, if you make a mistake, it's costly. It's yeah. costly. And whereas if he was a winger or an attacking midfield player, he could probably make six mistakes a game, but you probably wouldn't notice. But being at centre-back, the spotlight's on him and, and, the, and the attention of a new signing as well is on him. And I just think, I just think these, the, he'll need time. Whether time will, will, will tell, I, I don't know. Because I say, I, I, 
I hadn't seen enough of him previously. If I'd have watched him, you know, play for, I don't know, Leeds United for a season and a half, then I'd look at what he's doing now and I'd think, well, he's having a, he's having a difficult time, but I know because we've seen previously that, that he's better than this or he can do this and that. But we, we hadn't really seen him play and that's where fans have got to be a bit difficult when they're saying, yeah, go and get him, go and get him. You know, you have to check it out a bit more than that. Yeah, no, fully agree with you. Fully agree with you. So obviously, one of the things, Steve, like like we touched on, you know, the bit of foreign flair that, that that's come in. I mean, Kamil Yozviak, like you say, I, I think from what we've seen of him in the first couple of games, and you would hope that once all the adjustment period comes, as you mentioned, he, he, he can only get better. Um, I think there's there's a couple of things so far that I've really liked about him. He, he looks like he likes the directness. He likes mm-hmm. to get hold of the ball, likes to run, which obviously we know we've been screaming out for that in a winger. Um, mm-hmm. And that looks like we, we've, we've got that. Jordan Ibe, as we've said, we know that that was his game. If mm-hmm. that's his game now, obviously we've got to see. Um, mm-hmm. That excites me in the way that, you know, they're creating the chances. And one thing I'm going to touch on and kind of come on to a little bit in a minute is actually Jason Knight in midfield. Um, mm-hmm. But Derby, for this formation, as we all know, for this formation to work and look appeasing to, to fans and that kind of thing, you've got to have that wide area and they've got to be forward thinking. They've got, they've got to run at things for, they've got to create the chances, basically. It's the way uh-huh. that, this, that this formation works. Of course, we know about the, the big man up front and we'll wait to see about that. With the way that, as we say, Jozviak's come in, it, it looks like he can offer that. Um, what What are your thoughts on how key that actually is to the way that Derby play? Do you think, obviously, we know that they've been working on the 3-5-2. We've seen it yeah. in spits and starts. There's 4-4-3, 4-2-3-1, whatever way you might want to you might want to mm-hmm. make it up um do you think that that is now the main focus because we we have got the players in now to play what i would say is two three formations effort, effortlessly you could drop into that at any point in a game as and, as and when needed um and of course, the players that are coming in, and fingers crossed, the others, you know, like you said, Ibe, Waggon, Lawrence, mm. you know, and, and the others, they're not a million miles away. Um, this this team, on paper at least, me and Corey have said this, on paper, and I think you alluded to it earlier, Steve, it looks very different once all those are are back um, and, and and ready to ready to go. Yeah, um, no, you're absolutely right, and. This is where a bit of patience, and I know it's hard for fans to be patient at times, particularly when results aren't going well. The, the, the key to, to, to times of the season where things are changing and it's all a bit uncertain, the key is to keep picking up points along the way, even though it's not working properly. Unfortunately, Derby didn't do that in the first two games. They won at Norwich, which was great and which was very much needed. But I think to, to, uh, if fans are going to be patient, they just need to see bits and pieces of things falling into place. With Josie React, you're quite right. Uh, what I've seen of him, and you'll notice this in the Norwich game, he's not afraid to come in field and get involved, which is important because 
even though you need wide players, you, they can't just be restricted to out wide because they become easy to mark or pen in. And he's obviously got a knack of wanting to get involved. And it was interesting if you watch the game again against Norwich, how he looked to do that with Wayne Rooney as a central uh, figure. He, he's got he's got what I call quick feet. Next time you sit watching, watch mm. how quick he's got short stride, but quick. So his feet are moving very, very quickly. And and this is, is important, particularly if you're going to come inside, because it just helps you skip past that first marker, etc. Mm. And it opens up the, the picture for the team. So there's more to come from him. There's no doubt about that. And uh, we just need to give him that time to, to show that. Jordan I we know can do that again, but we have to be patient with him for the reasons we've mentioned. Uh, but they have got options. And, and the key is having options in, in the division. Because if you remember some time back, the 4-3-3, which Derby did ever so well with in 2013-14 uh, and got to the playoff final and it had Chris Martin up front, it had Johnny Russell on one side, Jamie Ward maybe on the other. It was a very settled team. And the following season, they stuck with it. But when it started to go wrong, Steve, Steve McLaren at the time couldn't find a way of changing the shape. They didn't quite have the personnel to change the shape to make the opponent think something different. And I think with Philip Cocker, I think what he's trying to do, and we've seen this with three centre-backs and wing-backs already, is have two or three formations that he can either start with or revert to during the game. And I think certainly, I think with the kind of full-backs Derby have, who I think are more suited to being wing-backs and full-backs, as in Lee Buchanan, certainly, as in Nathan Burns, certainly, I think, and Jaden Bogle was before he moved, certainly, and Max Lowe was before he moved. They, they were more wing-backs to me than, than full-backs. But it's important to have those wing-backs options available. So I think you're right. I, I think having two or three options, I think, will help Derby. And once Tom Lawrence is back, Waghorn, Tom Lawrence is a bit like Josriak. He likes to come in, what, what we call is inverted wingers, basically. That's what they are. They always look to go outside but come on the inside as well and that's where Tom Lawrence is very very dangerous the other thing of course that Tom Lawrence gives you he can play as a number 10 I still think if we saw against Huddersfield that time in that away win his two goals came from a central area I think he's a real threat in that position it's about having your good players fit and when they are having options to play I think you're absolutely right about the number of different formations yeah I, I think it works I, one one caveat to that um the defence pretty much, I would argue, picks itself bar the centre-back pairings. Um, and we know the, reason, the reasons why behind that. Um, one of the things, certainly going forward, and this is where I'm going to bring in um, Jason Knight slightly. Mm. You have now got options in the middle, a lot of options in the middle of the park. You've got quite, when everybody's fit, you've got quite a few options out wide and as and when we bring somebody in, you've actually probably got three or four options with different options going forward. There's going to be points where obviously we saw it on Saturday. Obviously Sibley didn't play. Uh, Max Bird obviously uh, was missing the other, the other game as well. You know, the players that we've kind of come to expect to start for Derby over the last um, few months. Now, one thing I did say to Corey when we discussed last week or week before on the podcast was, was it about time to actually possibly pull out one or two of the youngsters just to get them out of the firing line when things weren't quite ticking for them? But obviously, you know, the likes of Sibley, Bird, 
I mean, Tom Lawrence to some uh, lesser extent. Mm-hmm. These are all players that I suppose now are, are expecting to start for Derby. And when everybody's fit, I'm not 100% sure if they all start because of obviously the, the quality in two or three areas that we've actually got. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it was like Jason Knight. We, we saw him against Norwich. That was a performance rolling back the years from somebody who's only 19, 20 still. Uh, yeah. Just goes to show you. We know that that's his favoured position. We know that's you know where he's where he where he thrives, um, and so for then for him to be taken away from that and probably moved out on the wing or or whatever, if if indeed he's needed out on the wing, of course because of Yozviak, Lawrence, um, Waggon, maybe uh, an Ibe, that it comes across that, that it's great that it's competition competition for places, but there's also going to be one or two possibly key players for Derby that might find themselves on the bench a little bit more than they might want to. Um, and, you know, we, we possibly, probably not now, but certainly January, come January time, if, you know, the team starts to, starts the ball rolling a little bit between now and then, you know, there, there's going to be people sniffing around our better players uh, who, who might actually be sitting on the bench more than they're, uh, more than they're on the pitch, unfortunately. What, what's your yeah. thoughts to yeah. the... You know, strength and depth's great, but it can also be quite dangerous. It's it's sometimes you can have too many players. Mm. I mean, look at looks at Nottingham Forest just down the road from us. You know, <laughs> sometimes it work it backfires on you because it, what all that does too many players is if you if you play a game and lose, you look behind you and you've maybe got another ten or twelve choices, and it mm. and it makes you it tempts you almost to make changes, and then it doesn't go well, and you've still got another ten players. So it, you're right; it, it can be a problem in itself. Uh, I think what was interesting at Norwich, and I think it had to happen, and I agree with you totally, I wrote a piece about it, I thought it was time that the young players came out of the team. I thought Norwich, Norwich away was a game for experience. That's the way it struck me. And uh, nothing against the young players, and I wrote it at the time, because dipping a player, a young player in the team and then knowing when to take him out is all, is all part of a natural development for young players. And actually, Max Bird... Jason, uh, Louis Sibley, they've done fantastic. Let's not forget that really, really well. But there, always, there was always going to be a time when we looked at it and said, well, it's not quite working at the moment. I think Derby needed to add more bite in midfield uh, with Shinny and Jason Knight because I think against Reading and Blackburn, we were too easy to play against. Mm-hmm. Far too easy to get at. They weren't getting in players' faces. They weren't winning second balls. And the defence was being overrun. So I think that was a natural change. I think it had to happen. Uh, <laughs> the interesting thing now is for the next game against Watford, Philip Koku has a dilemma because Graham Shinney and, and, and Jason Knight did such a good job of helping to screen what had been a creak in defence, did such a good job screening them. They've now got a home game. Do you keep two holding sitting midfield players in there or don't you? Do you maybe drop Wayne Rooney in as a playmaker or Max Bird in alongside a Shinny or a Knight? So this is where it becomes more difficult. You need options, you're right, but you've also got to know how to handle those options, knowing which game to play them in, which not to. And I think the another interesting thing about all this is Wayne Rooney. Because, because Wayne Rooney, we're all saying... He's been much better as the quarterback, if you like, the deep-line midfield player who can get on the ball, who can dictate the tempo, who can dictate the shape of what Derby are trying to do. And I thought he did that really well 
maybe up until lockdown. Uh, I think after lockdown, he started okay, and but I think his form dipped away towards the end of the season. And he had a bit of a back problem during the summer, which I think has made a, a pretty a kind of slowish start for him this season. Although I thought he was looking a lot better at Norwich. But it's like for the Watford game, what, what happens then? You know, do, do we play Wayne Rooney again up front or do we drop him back into midfield? Do we keep Shinny and, and Jason Knight? It's, it's a lovely delight, dilemma to have, but I tell you what, at times I have to sit down and pick a team every Friday to write an article. And it's not the easiest thing to do. No, I think certainly with the Shinny one, I think obviously if, didn't he come out against Reading, uh, come out the side against Reading and you could see yeah. that that bite was missing. Yeah. Um, he, it, Graham Shinney comes across as one of those players that just ticks by in a game and you don't really notice what he's yeah. done until he's not there um, he's, one of those, he's one of those players you're absolutely right who his work can go unnoticed mm. but not by his teammates or his manager and I think mm. sometimes when, when you're watching the game it's important when you look at each individual to understand why they are actually there and Graham Shinney is there to be a nuisance to the opponent to break down their play to, to get in and around get in people's faces to nick the ball to win second balls and then just move it on uh, as a former manager used to say to me you know get the ball and give it to uh, someone who can play it's a backhanded compliment in a way mm. but it's actually part of the balance of a team and players like Graham Shinney and Jason Knight with their energy and bite and determination add to the balance of a team yeah, and they are they are needed, Corey. Just yep. before we 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 go back to you, um, obviously against Norwich, Steve, we, we saw that as we said, we saw the experience come back in. Curtis Davis rolled back the years. David Marshall d- did exactly yeah. the same. How much of a worry is it to you that we had to bring in those? You know, we had to bring in more experience into this side. When ultimately, ultimately, obviously, I know it's all about balance, but ultimately, we are looking for those those academy young players to come to come through and be the first team at Derby. How much of a worry can it be that obviously we hadn't started the season great? That you know, there's no two ways about that, um, and it actually needed a change of philosophy in some respects mm-hmm. um, to actually get. I mean, we, we ground the result out against Norwich. I don't particularly think it was pretty. I thought we no. played quite well. Uh, I don't particularly think Norwich were brilliant either, uh, in all fairness. Everything kind of worked in you know, Derby's favour, which, which is great. You need that rub of the green sometimes, certainly mm-hmm. when you're away from home. Um, but how much of a worry is it that we actually had to rely on the more experienced, you know, we had to bring in those more experienced players when we have brought in the youngsters to try and make up the first team, but the, a couple of them probably just not quite yeah. not quite performing at the minute. No, it's true. It, to be honest, it wasn't a worry to me at all. And, the, and the, the reason why is because I felt we had too many at one time in the team. I think we, had a, we were starting to average about four of the young players in an outfield 10. And, and I just think that's too many. We, we go back to the word balance in football. Balance is, is probably the most important word when you're constructing a team. You've got to have the balance. You can't have the best 10 players in the world because you won't win a game because you'll concede too many goals. So it didn't worry me one bit. And we still had Jason Knight and we still had Lee Buchanan. And I believe that two young players emerging in the starting 11 or 10 outfield players, if you like, I think that's about right. Two stroke three. 
I think once you get over three or three or over, I think then it, it, it's, it's not a problem, but, but the balance shifts again. And I think you need, you need your experience. So what we had was we had a, a spine of the team. And again, this, this is the other key word, balance and spine are two absolutely crucial words. Any successful team, if you, if you look, has balance and a strong spine. And the spine of Derby's team at Norwich was David Marshall, who was 35, Curtis Davis, who was 35, Graeme Shinney, who was 28, 29, experienced player, Scottish international, and Wayne Rooney. That was the balance of the team. But we still had energy, because we had the energy around it. We had Jason Knight in there as well. We had Lee Buchanan getting up and down the left. We had Nathan Byrne getting up and down the right. So it, it doesn't worry me, because I know Mel Morris wanted this kind of vision of, of maybe five players from the academy starting, uh, being in the starting 11. And I understand that vision. And as we said right at the start of this podcast, it's important to have a plan. And I think Derby finally have got a plan and it will take patience to, to see that plan through. But I just felt there were times at the back end of last season and the start of this where we maybe the balance shifted too far with one or two too many youngsters. And I think two, certainly two stroke three, in a 10 outfield players, I think is, is about right. Two for me is about right. And if you think back to the Nigel Clough days when he brought through Hendrick and Will Hughes and these, it was only normally about two players anyway in each, in each starting 11. So no, it, it didn't worry me. I said on the Friday before the game at Norwich that that's what I would do. I'd bring in a bit more experience because I just felt that it was important to get points on the board because we didn't want to go into an international break stewing on being in the bottom three maybe with no points. So Steve you touched on it there young players and that's what I want to kind of go to uh, next and you've had the privilege obviously of attending all the games anyway but obviously since lockdown and everything like that you've you've been there. Um, and the, the five real players that are kind of, I would assume, that are in the first team picture, Lee Buchanan, Jason Knight, Max Bird, Louis Sibley, and Morgan Whitaker. Um, which one of those players has the most potential for you um, in your mind, either as a starter for Derby County or moving to that next level? Well, I think what you've got to look at is, is who the managers has selected. And Jason Knight is the only player who's played, who's started every single game in the league and cup this season. There's no other player that's started every single game. And I think that speaks volumes for what Jason Knight can offer the side currently. Philip Koku clearly is a big fan. Again, a little like Graeme Shinney, he's, he's not as easy on the eye as Max Bird is in, on the ball. Max is very smooth on the ball. He's very controlled, very composed. When Wayne Rooney compliment you as a footballer as he did with Max Bird last season then you know you've got some ability. Louis Sibley is different, he's eye-catching, he, he, he does things that kind of make you kind of get out of your seat as we saw with a hat-trick, wonderful hat-trick at Millwall so he's different again. I will say Morgan Whitaker when he came on against Norwich I thought looked very good and what was, what was interesting was he played more central than he has done on the wide on the, on the right. When he's on the right or left, he's a bit more hamstrung in what he can do, but he looked a bit more of a free spirit in, in, in the middle there, so that was an interesting one also. Lee Buchanan, when they played him just as a left-back, he, he, he struggled defensively, 
in one-on-one -on -one situations, which were highlighted. But when he plays as a wing-back, he shows his energy, he shows his willingness, and, and actually, if he gets in the final third, he can deliver a very decent ball, which is important in adding width to the game. Uh, but it, it is interesting that Jason Knight, so far this season, is the only player to have started every single game, and I think that's a feather in his cap. Yeah, for me, when, I was, when we were preparing for this, Steve, um, Jason Knight was the name that crossed my mind because everybody, he's kind of, uh, I wouldn't say underrated or not much herald, but, you know, Louis Sibley and Max Bird often get the headlines, but Jason Knight, you know, with, his, with also, you know, his outlay that he played last year, he played a lot more games, he had the six goals, you know, he, he seems to be much more regular first teamer than a budding, a budding youngster right now. Yeah, um, I think, sorry, Corey, I think what's important as well is, the highlight of the game at Norwich, of course, was Wayne Rooney curling in the free kick in the 87th minute. But the next best thing from the game was the fact that Jason Knight stormed in the 87th minute forward to win that free kick that she scored from. And I think that tells you an awful lot about his appetite for work. I loved his, I loved his celebration after Timo Pukki's uh, penalty <laughs> as well. That, that was my highlight of the game. Um, but speaking, speaking of the game, Steve, um, you've been fortunate to go to the games since lockdown we were talking about that a little bit off air um for you as a journalist you've obviously had a long career in journalism um and you've been to you know this is an unprecedented time for football for fans for journalists for players for everybody do you find the games are different i find them different on tv now you know, with players not play acting as much or some of the intensities maybe taken out but starting to come back in fits and starts and things like that. Do you find watching a game now that you consume it differently or that you look at the game differently or that you can report on the game differently with not obviously neutral because there's home and away games, but in a more neutral environment? It's, it's a good point. I, th I think we do. Um, I think if we say right at the very start that it's not the same game without the fans, uh, the intensity isn't the same. Uh, the nervousness, whether good nerves or bad nerves, aren't there within the players as much when there's, when there's no crowd there. It, that suits some players. It doesn't suit other players. Uh, so it's, it's a very different environment, sat at the ground watching it and hearing every shout as well, by the way. That's something that's new because usually the crowd noise drown out the shouts from the bench, from the managers and coaches, but also the player talking. When you're sat in grounds now with, with no fans in, you can actually hear every word the players say. And I find it fascinating tactically to sit through that and, and watch and listen to what players are saying and instructing each other. That's, that's quite fascinating. But it's not the same. It hasn't got the same edge. It hasn't got the same emotion, the sway, the, the different moments in the game where you think you know this thing about if you remember one of the great things we always say is oh if someone makes a, a, a crunching tackle it gives the whole ground a lift and suddenly the, the the direction of the game can change you don't quite get that in the current climate and uh, I've said before that this game is this game really isn't isn't a patch on on what we've been used to without the fans how soon we see them back is a very difficult one. They have to do it, obviously, very gradually for obvious reasons. I noticed, I watched a few games last night, international games, and they, they had fans in there. Still not quite the same. Uh, 
but it, it has been a different exercise for me covering the game. You still you still got the same outcome as such, but uh, I, I have found it quite interesting tactically because you tend to be able to watch it more closely tactically than listening to crowds and the baying and the and the roaring and the screaming. And and even when I watch games on television now, I tend to go for the silent option as of no crowd noise because I don't I don't particularly like the false crowd noise of games I tend to go for the other option which is basically all you hear is what I hear at normal games so yeah but it is very different uh, but in, in a strange way it's, it's been fascinating to do but but let's hope we are able to return to normality soon yeah I 100% agree your sentiment Stephen for me it's always the the no crowd noise because if there's no crowds I don't want them to give a false sense yeah. you know it's a bit it's a bit strange or whatever um but one more question for you steve before i turn it mm. back over to jason darby's had a slow start to the season but obviously the win at norwich you go into the international break with three points from three games which is a lot better than a big uh, big goose egg um <laughs> on the board and a lot of fans especially after the blackburn rovers defeat were i would say i'm gonna put this mildly and say they were less than impressed with philip kaku and his handling um, yeah. We know he's on a long-term deal. We know he's been backed in the summer with signings. Um, is his job is his, does he is his leash getting shorter, or is he still does he still have the obviously does he still have the backing? He does because he's still in the job. But does he still have the same amount of leash and leeway that he did six months ago? Uh, listen, uh, first of all, every manager results will dictate how long they stay at a football club. It doesn't matter who you are. That that's just natural. Uh, but as far as I'm aware and speaking to the people I speak to, the backing is still there. They're still, he's still very much seen as part of this plan we've spoken about, which I think was important. Uh, to suddenly, I'll give you an example, to suddenly change that now, what happens to the plan? You know, if you suddenly remove the manager who's seen and has been heralded as the big part of the plan, and you suddenly remove him, what, where do you go next? Where do you go next after that? And the, the, you know, there was some people saying, there was some rumours saying, oh, if you don't win at Norwich, this and that. But as far as I'm aware, that wasn't the case. And, and he has the backing uh, of the chairman. They, they are uh, impressed with the work he's been doing. Uh, every, every person I've spoken to within the club about him is impressed. I think, he's, uh, I think he had a difficult season last season. I think all in all, he handled it really, really well because it was a very tricky time. He was thrown in very, very... We, we, we have very little time last pre-season because of Frank Lampard, Willie Walty go to Chelsea, went on too long, really. And then Philip Koku had only about five weeks tried to try to piece the team together in a very tough division like the Championship. Had all the off-the-field problems we've spoken about and been well-documented. So he, I thought he handled the season really, really well. This season, again, slow. I said before, when, it's, when there's a transitional period, you have to still pick up points. Managers still have to, whether it's a draw here or whatever, it's important to pick up points. And, and, and Derby didn't do that in the first few weeks. And I think that's really what uh, disappointed a number of fans. But the win at Norwich, that's why the win at Norwich was so, so important. But the pressure's back on. The pressure's on every game at Derby. It's Derby County. You know, the pressure's on every game to win. And uh, so the next game is Watford at home and, and the pressure will be back on then to win the game. But they're, they're certainly feeling in a, a better place than they were before the Norwich game. 
to be fair, pretty much exactly exactly what I was going to ask you, Steve, as well about that because you know um, it was important that they won that Norwich game by hook by crook, however, and kind of that's how it turned out. I said actually to Corey, I mean, like you just pointed out, there we're not going to go back over all the history over the last eighteen months, but even the last couple of couple of months, you know, we are we are missing, we were missing key players uh, to start off with. You know, we we took out nearly forty. 40 plus goals out of the yeah. side from last season and didn't they weren't replaced mm-hmm. um necessarily and i did say to to Corey, you know it it might be that things actually get a little worse before they start to get better we need to just scrape through um even what was looking a nice first three four fixtures on paper you know we could easily be in mid october where we where we're in trouble because we we've, we've got to just we've just got to claw our way through until we can get these players back um, and I was talking to somebody the other day, actually, they were saying about the international break, has it come at the right time? This international break's come at the absolute perfect time, in my opinion. Uh-huh. Great to end that small period. It actually puts a stamp on it. Hopefully, we can get uh, at least some more minutes into the leg, you know, more training time into Ibe, into Bielik, Waghorn, Lawrence, you know, yeah. wherever we're at. Um, because let's face it, you know, the fixture list this year isn't kind to us in, in terms of, uh, timing and things like that. So you're going to have to have a full, you're going to have to have a full strength squad available as best as you can. And unfortunately, with the games coming so thick and fast, you know, risking people with you know small slight injuries is is probably not going to help. Obviously, we saw that with Dwayne Holmes, kind of flirted with the first team to start off with and then disappeared because he you know he'd re-injured himself basically. Mm-hmm. Um, we've just started to see that you know, in back. And actually, I thought he, he played quite well on Saturday. Yeah. Uh, for- for, for an hour, yeah, he did, yeah. Yeah, the, the type of player that we know he can be um, and, and certainly the type of player that needs to be um, needs to be firing for Derby. My final point on Derby, um, Steve, is obviously it was well documented that he, he Koku wasn't happy with the team and he had stern words to be to be said. It, it feels very similar. There was a couple of points last year where he had to do the same thing. What, what is it about the dressing room that, I know this might seem a really trivial question and other people might go, well, you, you don't understand because you've never been in that situation. But why why does it take professional footballers to get an absolute mouthful, the hairdryer treatment, as it will? Why does it take that? Um, and it seems to have taken this Derby side a couple of times over the last, as I say, the last 18 months to, to actually give them a kick up the backside and for whatever reason, why can't they... I don't know if self-motivate's the right word, but it's kind of the same sentiment. Why is it that they can't get themselves relay what they're being, what they're doing day to day in training onto onto a football field? I appreciate the opposition are going to stifle that, but that can't be the only reason. There's got to be the application as well from from your own game. What what do you think it is that actually means that you know they have they, basically they have to have a telling off every time that yeah. they, we want to react. Yeah. I think I, I think all it is, and, and this and this may may sound obvious. They're human beings. They're not machines. This 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 isn't eleven machines you send out on the pitch. There are a number of reasons why players perform. There are a number of reasons why players are in good form or in poor form. And 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 not knowing all the background to the build up to matches and how they are and how, whether they've trained well or not. All these things come into it, and, and then we ask them to go out and, and, and just be nine out of ten, eight out of ten. We saw Liverpool, you know, very recently fall apart at Aston Villa. You know, 
does that mean Klopp goes into the dressing room and gives them a dressing down and says, look, remind them of what they're there for and etc.? cetera? It, it, it happens. Manchester United lose 6-1 at home to Tottenham Hotspur. Uh, what was interesting was Philip Cocu had to do it after the Brentford game, if you remember last season, when mm. Derby were taken apart, certainly in the first half. But I checked that out. And actually, there was only three players who started that game who started the Blackburn game. Yeah. So it's not actually the same group of players. It's a, it's a different group to an extent. So I just think it's, it, 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 it's, it's, it's the demands today. I mean, I've watched football for, for, for years, too long. Uh, <laughs> it, it seems too long. 1968, my first game. The amount of different games I've seen and, 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 and some weeks the team's really good and some weeks it's really poor. I just think now the spotlight is on them so much. The, the social media clamour is, is around them all the time. The criticism's coming from left, right and centre, which it didn't used to before. It wasn't there. If you were criticising a player before, you probably did it down the pub to your mates. It wasn't out in the open everywhere. And I just feel that, you know... Consistency is everything in life in general, not just football. In our own jobs, whatever jobs we may do, we like to be consistent. Sometimes we have good days, sometimes we have not so good days, sometimes we have poor days. Consistency on a football pitch is, is much more difficult to achieve because you've got 11 players trying to stop you performing, trying to stop you playing well. And, and that's where it comes in. And, and you have to be a really good side like Liverpool have shown, a really good side to consistently turn out the performances week in, week out. Derby, at the moment, or last season, are, are a mid-table championship team. That's what they are. They're not a top-four Premier League team. They're a mid-table championship team. At the moment, they're a team that's, that's nearer the bottom than they are the top after the early part of the season. So I just think there's lots of factors go into it. And I just think now and again, there's absolutely nothing wrong with getting the players together for a meeting. And I've, I've worked with 16, 17 different managers at Derby. And the number of times these meetings have happened, believe me, probably every manager in those has held these types of meetings because that's what happens. It happens at other clubs as well. It's just that we don't know about it because we don't cover the other clubs. I think it's, if, if a meeting is needed, get people together. I say in our own professions, if things aren't quite happening, we have meetings, don't we? We have meetings yeah, about yeah. them and we talk about them and we say, well, why isn't this working? Or should we do this? Or should we do this differently? And what's wrong with you? Or what's not right with you? It happens in normal professions. It's just that in football, it happens in the public eye. So yeah. we knew that Koku had a, a team meeting for more than an hour. We knew that the players were asked for their opinions. We knew that Curtis Davis as an experienced player and probably Wayne Mooney as well, stood up and said whatever they've got to say. That's natural. Anyone who's played the sport or any sport at any level will know that these things happen. It happens in the Sunday league. It happens in the changing room after a Sunday league game, after a defeat. The manager will come in and say, that was terrible. What are you doing? Didn't mind. What's, going on? <laughs> yeah. What's going on? You know, stay out the pub on a Friday night or on a Saturday night or something like that. And, and De that definitely happens. that sentence, yes. Exactly. So it does happen. It's just that professional sport, professional football happens in the public eye. And we get these stories. Philip Koku didn't have to tell us, by the way, about mm. the meeting. He didn't have to tell us. We may well have found out eventually, but he actually offered it. And I thought he offered it in, in the best sense of the word offering it to the public to say, look, we know it's not been great. We've had a sit down. We know what we want to do. 
it's not working at the moment, but believe you me, we're trying everything we can possible to make it work. And he said when he told us the key now is to get a reaction in training, which they did last week. Everyone I spoke to last week told me the training was sharp on the ball, players were bright, and then take it into the game at Norwich. I agree with you. It wasn't the best performance at Norwich. We rode our luck. You need luck sometimes. You know, if a player slips over on the penalty spot, yeah, I think you know it's your day, really. Uh, and that happened, but they took advantage of it, and that's all you can do. And now what you do then is move on. So I've got no problem with these team meetings, and I think they happen more often than we probably are aware, and certainly at most clubs. Yeah, I must admit I was going to say, and like you say, it's probably it's just the fact that this one was brought more to the public yeah. eye. Um, yeah. They probably do happen to some extent most weeks, to be honest with you. So let's well, face I'll it, we're, it, not, it we're, not, we're not perfect, are we? We're not a perfect performance every week. Absolutely, and, and if we were, it would be pretty boring, wouldn't it? If we were, yeah. if we were perfect all the time. And I, I always say, you know, it's running out onto that pitch as a professional footballer, I know there's no fans at the moment, but I'll just give you a little example of what it might be like. When I first joined the Telegraph, I covered the Derby Reserves, and I used to go on the team bus with the Reserves, and Arthur Cox was the manager then, and Roy McFarland, the great Roy McFarland, fantastic footballer, played at the very, very highest level. Uh, he, he was uh, on the bus as well with the Reserves, and because we arrived at the grounds very early, the rest of the ground wasn't open for press for me to go in. So they used to take me in through the players' entrance with them. I'd wheel in the skip with Gordon Guffley and that type of thing. And then the players would walk out onto the pitch. And, and Roy McFarland used to say to me, oh, come out onto the pitch. And it was a massive thrill to walk out on the pitch at Old Trafford or Anfield or Goodison Park. But what it taught me was, I walked out one night at Old Trafford with Roy McFarland and we walked towards the centre circle. And the place was empty, totally empty. And I just, my heart was going. And I thought, you need real bottle to run out here in front of 50, 60,000 people. Imagine what it must be like, the demands for you to suddenly run out and perform. And I know fans will say, it's their job. It is their job. But as you said before, they're not machines either. They're not machines. They, they are human beings. And also... They've got 11 players trying to stop them being at their best, which we don't have, do we? If I wrote a story, every time I wrote a sentence here now, someone leaned over my shoulder and deleted it, and I had to write it again, and then they deleted it. That doesn't happen. No. But in a football pitch, you're up against 11 players who want to be better than you in that moment. So you're not always going to be at your best, but the key is consistency. And we search for consistency in life anyway, so it's not just professional footballers. No, I, I fully agree with you. Steve, we could, I'm sure we could carry on talking for ages, but unfortunately, Indeed. we are running out of time. Thank you very much for your time uh, this afternoon. Uh, it's been great to chat with you. Um, Corey, as always, thank you very much for your input. Jason, you're more than welcome, Steve. Thanks for, for coming on for our 50th anniversary episode special. We hope, we hope we can have you on again. Yeah, no problem at all. You know where I am anyway. Yeah, cool. Well, obviously, um, in the coming months, there'll be plenty more to talk about. So, uh, yeah, hopefully we'll catch up with you, Steve. Thank you very much for your time. No problem. Thank you. And that's all for today's episode, guys. Thank you very much for listening to the Rams Review podcast. I've been Jason, and we've had Corey and Steve Nicholson on. Till next time, up the Rams.
Thank you for listening to the latest episode of the Rams Review Podcast. Please remember to get in touch on the socials. On Twitter, we are at RamsReview1. Our Facebook is Rams Review Podcast, Or you could drop us an email, ramsreview at hotmail.com. Until next time, thank you very much and up the Rams.